0: What's up, guys? Long time no see. My goodness, how you've grown since the last time we were together. Like I said, we're continuing our From Heaven to Earth series today. PLD, Pastor Larry Davis, uh, started this a few weeks ago. But, you know, before we get into this thing, it's like, come on, let's have some fun. I thought it would be amazing if I told you guys a a personal story, right? Everybody (laughs) loves that, right? So, you know me, I've been here for a few years, hopefully you know me, but not, you know, I'm about to celebrate my one year wedding anniversary. <laughs> what, I know. <laughs> Looks like we made it. I thought, maybe I'll tell them the story. You don't really know my wife, maybe I'll tell you the story of how we fell in love. It ends that way too. My goodness. Get your notes out if you wanna like think about making another notebook-like movie or something. <laughs> Um, so let's just take a little journey down romantic memory lane. I remember the first time I saw her, my goodness, so beautiful, so gorgeous. We're talking like Audrey Hepburn mixed with Jennifer, uh, Jennifer Aniston. And I use those two specifically because now every age knows what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> Man, she was so beautiful. But, and let's be honest, that's like the most important thing, right? Like, okay, check. You're beautiful. That's the most important thing. Now we can move on from there. Then it's <laughs> the first one, jeez. Then it gets even better, guys. I know. It started out really strong. Then we get to know each other. You know you're dating, you're telling each other like where you're from, kind of, you know, let's be honest, some mistakes that we've made. I'm a human, okay? I have made mistakes. I've got student loans just like the rest of us. I've got some credit card debt. I'm not perfect, but my goodness, I fell in love when she said, "I don't have any student loan debt." And and I know it gets better. And I have a huge savings account. So if we want to work this out, we're going to pay off your debts. And I'm like, all right, looking for rings online. Here we go. And then I'm down on one knee when I, when I hear this. I'm, we're getting to know each other some more. I'm saying like, here's my dreams. Here's my goals. These are my aspirations. These are what I want to accomplish in life. And I was like, all right, I'm basically down on one knee when she said this. I don't really have any dreams or goals or anything. Like I'm sitting here thinking, you're going to do whatever I want to do. <gasps> this is the dream. God sent me an angel and then the cherry on top. I know it can't get any better, but it does. Dad is rich and like we're planning the wedding. It's so good. So good. So I'm going to get this huge inheritance someday and like, man, who's with me, right? This is true love. Now I'm going to stop. Some of you are thinking like you're not making it much longer than your first year. None of that's true. I'm joking, except for the really beautiful part. She is really beautiful. She doesn't really look like Audrey Hepburn, but that's okay. I'm not a stickler for these kind of details. She she has dreams. She has goals. She's amazing. And I like trying to figure out how I can help her with all that stuff. So if you're new with us, I'm not that big of a jerk. I am a little weird, but I'm not like that crazy. I tell you that really weird introduction. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, because it was the best way I could kind of explain. And uh, I, I have this fear that that's the way we approach a relationship with God. If we're not careful, we make it about what we want. It's our dreams. It's our goals. It's, it's our happiness. That's all we really care about. And we'll watch these transformation stories, and we're like, man, I want to follow the God who gives me the $20,000 bonus check, <laughs> right? I want the God who's going to fix my marriage. I want the God who's going to bring my family closer together, bring me the dream, dream job. Like, your will be done, but as long as it fits into what my bigger picture for my life is. We make it about our own goals, our own wants, our own desires, if we're not careful. And here's the danger of that, is that you end up missing out on the beauty of who God really is. This isn't anything new, by the way. This is, uh, we're celebrating Holy Week this week. This is the very first Sunday of Holy Week. Next week, we get to uh, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter. So bring your friends. Come on, it's going to be a big day. But before there was a resurrection, there was a crucifixion. And so we have Good Friday. This Friday coming up, also come back from 4 to 8, either here in San Francisco, Good Friday experience. Come join us for that. And before there was the crucifixion, there was Palm Sunday. And that's Today. This was the first day of Passover week. In fact, this is how I know that this message is like from God. My wife told me to wear this shirt today, and there's there's palm branches on it. I did not plan this. This is so great. And she didn't know it either. She was just like, that's a nice green. Thank you, Lord. All right. Sealed. Approved, right? Palm Sunday. If you don't know what that is, like I said, it's the beginning of Passover week. Now, Passover was, it was celebrated every single year by the Jews. This was recounting the tale of how God miraculously freed them from slavery to Egypt. They were free. So all this time they've been waiting for their Messiah to come. And the Israelites are under oppression right now under Rome. And so they're watching Jesus do these amazing things. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. In fact, it says in John that after he fed the 5,000, they were ready to make him king right there man, I want a king that has a budget like that. I'll follow that guy. Five loaves of bread and two fishes, the money that you can save as a nation. He (laughs) fed all of them with that. And they're like, that's our king. That's our guy. But it wasn't Jesus' time yet. So they've been watching this stuff happen and they're thinking, our Messiah is here. He's gonna, just like Moses went before Pharaoh Passover week and said, let my people go, Jesus is now entering into Jerusalem this Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, and they're throwing palm branches down on him. They're shouting out, Hosanna, glory in the highest, praise him, our king is here, our warrior king. He's gonna go before Caesar and say, let my people go and we're gonna be free. That's what they thought he was gonna be. But that's not, Jesus didn't come to save the Jews from Rome. Jesus came to save all men and women from oppression of something much greater. Oppression from sin and death. But not even just to free us from that, to free us to a relationship with him. That's what he came for. But the Jews missed it because they had put their own desires in front of who he really is. And if we're not careful, we do the same thing. And one way that that shows up today, really dangerous is by misusing religion, the dirty church word. No one likes to hear that word. How many of us have been hurt by religion, burned by church, hurt by people in the church? Me? We all have because we use religion incorrectly. So today I have the, the pretty difficult task of talking about where does religion fit? Where do we put religion? Because I do not believe that we should throw it out. I think there's goodness in it, there's beauty in religion. So today we're gonna find a place for religion. But as we get into this topic here today, I got one question for you, and this is a question I've wrestled with for months. It's not easy. I don't want you to answer it. I just want you to begin to evaluate your own heart, your own motives, your own life. It's a very simple question. Do you experience more of Northgate or more of God? Which one do you want? When you're driving up the driveway, coming into church on Sunday, are you more excited for the friendly faces, holding the signs, the hot coffee, the nice, powerful rock music, the message given by someone really funny? I'll try. (laughs) I don't want to seem presumptuous. Or or do you come in here and you're saying, man, what has God got for me today? How is he going to stretch me? How is he going to encourage me to take a next step? How do I serve other people? What ministry does he want me to be in? Because here's the thing, friends. There comes a point where we need to stop going to church and we need to become the church. <laughs> Ooh, I like that response. That's what I was hoping you'd say. Now, don't, get, don't hear me wrong. If you're new here, if this is your first time, your second time, if you're still figuring it out, oh, I am so glad you are here. This is the right place for you. You should be excited about the friendly faces. You should be excited about the music and hopefully engaging a couple of minutes of talking. That is good because other people felt the same way. And then they moved into being those people that smile at you. They moved into people making the coffee. They moved into people playing that music because we are the hands and feet of Christ. We want you to come here and heal and be safe and ask your questions here. That's what this place is about. But over time, it needs to move from just consuming to then being the church to other people. So that's the tough question. Which one do you want? Just begin to evaluate. Let's look at Mark chapter three today. This is a story found in the gospels. If you have your app, you can find it in the U version. There's a link in there. But if you're not really wanting to get your phone out, I respect that, we have it up here on the screens. Mark chapter three, verse one, let's read this together. Again, he entered the synagogue And a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. The they here is the Pharisees. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Wow! There's a lot going on in this passage. I don't want us to miss any of it. Let's start off first. Maybe you're here and you're like, what is the Sabbath? That sounds like something I don't even know. The Sabbath is actually one of the Ten Commandments. See, like I said, Israel, when they were freed from Egypt, this generation of Israel had not known freedom. They were born into this slavery. So when God frees them, he frees them into the wilderness towards the promised land, the best life that he has for them. He says, you know what? I'm going to give you guys some guidelines. I'm going to give you some rules, some laws so that you can flourish, so that you can live your best life. It's probably best if you don't go around killing each other. That's just one opinion. But there's some rules that I want to tell you. They were there to help them flourish, but they were also there to show the other nations of the world how great their God was. They were supposed to be able to look on Israel and say, wait a minute, why are these guys not killing each other? Why do they love each other so much? What's different about them? I want to follow that God. So we know the Ten Commandments. There's much more laws than that, but we'd have to go into the uh, first five books of the Old Testament to find all those. But the Ten Commandments, we know. They're kind of summed up in that. The first few have to do with your relationship with God, and the last few have to do with your relationship with man. And right there in the middle, the one we never really talk about, is this command, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, just as God created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. And it's referencing the very beginning, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, when God created everything, the universe, the heavens, the earth, the mountains, the water, the people, the animals. He creates everything in six days. And on the seventh, he takes a break and he says, wow, that was really good, what I've created. This is good stuff. I'm excited to be with that. And then, like, think about this right now, guys. In this agrarian culture, everybody's working seven days a week. And then God comes on the scene and says, You want to live your best life? Take a Sabbath. Take a day off. If I'm picking a religion and I'm picking a God, I'm picking the one who says, Take a day off. That is a God worth following. Get the kayaks, honey. We're going out on the water. God said we have to take a day off. That's my God. So we have this law to take a rest. Now, the Pharisees, the religious rule keepers who are mentioned in this story, they took that original law. Remember, it was the Ten Commandments, but it was more than that. They took that original law, and then they added all these other laws onto it with good intentions. They were hedge laws. So they're saying, like, if the Sabbath law is right here, I'm going to create this law, this law, this law. Don't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. You have to do this. So that you have to break, like, three laws before you actually break the real law that God gave good intentions. However, like in in the story right in front of this one at the end of Mark 2, which is the same day, it was still the Sabbath day, they were accusing Jesus' disciples of working on the Sabbath because they picked some grain. And he's like, no, no, no. They're breaking your rules. They're not breaking my rule for the Sabbath. There's a difference here. So this is the situation. It's on the Sabbath day. They've got their rules. They've got their religion. They're holding it over people. They don't see the worth in people. This man with the withered hand was probably a plant. This would not be against the Pharisees' character. We read other stories where they would use people to try to trap Jesus, people that society had thrown out. So this man with the withered hand, we don't know exactly what that is. That could have been a birth defect. I personally believe that it was probably an accident. Maybe it was smashed by a rock or something like that. All we know is that his hand had no life in it. That it was worthless, it was useless, and thus making him worthless, useless in this culture. He couldn't use it. Like I said, it's agrarian culture. He can't work with his hands. He can't make money. He can't support a family. He was probably reduced to begging. He's an outcast. He has no purpose in his life. So Jesus sees what's happening. Sneaky Jesus, reading minds again. He asked them this question. According to your Sabbath rules, is it lawful to do good or to do harm? to save a life or to kill it. That's very important, to save or to kill. You see, by healing this man's hand, as simple as healing the hand, he saves his life. He gives this man purpose and meaning to live, to actually live the way he created him to. Or to kill. He's saying, look, in your laws, I can't give life, but you all are here plotting to kill me right now. So is murder allowed in your laws right now for the Sabbath? I can't give life. I can take life on the Sabbath. Hold on. There's something wrong here. And they were silent. They couldn't answer him. Their religion made them too proud. So then Jesus heals the the man's hand. He's, He's just so grieved by their response the way that they had abused the law. And then they go out. Man, this part is so crazy to me. They went out to the Herodians, their enemies, those loyal to Herod, those loyal to the Roman government. They went out to their enemies to unite, to kill Jesus. That's how big of the problem he was to them. They're like, all right, everybody that we've got, we've got to take this guy down. So what do we learn about religion from this story? What's the baggage? What's the beauty? And then where do we find its place? Let's first start with the baggage of religion. Like I said, it has negative connotation. When I said that, maybe you tightened up a little bit. You've got some bad memories of churches. See, religion can mean different things for different generations. That negative stuff you're thinking might be different for someone that's younger than you, someone who's older than you. It also means something different for people who are from different places than you. I grew up on the East Coast, North Carolina. We call it the Bible Belt out there. There's a church on every corner. And if it's a holy corner, it has three churches in a Chick-fil-A. Like that's <laughs> the epitome of the holy church corner. Did you know there are over 15 churches in Benicia? <laughs> Good response, yes. What? That's like, Benicia's like the size of the Mall of America. And there's 15, over 15 churches in Benicia. When religion is used incorrectly, it divides. It splits people up, casts them out. There's also, I got three things I want us to see, the the baggage that comes with religion when it's used incorrectly. The first thing, it creates classes. It divides. It creates classes that God never intended. All throughout history, history, we see People using classes to lord over people. The Pharisees hated the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners, the drunkards, the women, the Samaritans. How many people in the Bible, in the Gospels, do we read about the Pharisees lording over? The shepherds, there's another group of people. And then how many times do we read about Jesus being with those people? If you missed last week's message from Larry, go check it out on our YouTube page. Jesus came to elevate the individual. That's why you see him meeting with these people. He's eating with the drunkards, with the prostitutes. He's meeting with the woman at the well who was a Samaritan. Did you know that the Bible is the only religious text that starts off from the very beginning where man and woman are created equal? That's the way God intended humanity to live, equals, united with our God. There's no class. And maybe you're sitting here thinking like that's not my problem. I don't have that problem. Here's another way that it presents itself today. I don't have to learn or I don't have to read my own Bible myself or study podcasts or sermons because that's my pastor's job to teach me. We elevate pastors and staff and put this pressure on them. And we kind of lower our standards and say like, well, you know, God really expects it from them, not from me. And I'll learn from them. So if I'm not learning, my pastors must not be that good. Guys, I, if you're relying on me, I am so sorry. <laughs> the only difference between me and you is that I'm standing like four feet taller than you today, and if you're shorter than like a foot taller than you every day. I don't know. We're all equals, guys. We were sitting in staff meeting on Tuesday. And uh, we were kind of telling stories about what God's done over the last few months in our ministries and kind of telling like what we want to see God do, some goals and some dreams that we're setting in each different ministry. And Dave McMurtry, if you know him, he runs our Northgate U stuff here. And he was kind of giving a praise report about how it feels like God has blessed Northgate U with some amazing teachers right now, like the right teachers for the right classes. And the reason that's so amazing is because it's not the staff teaching Northgate U classes, Every once in a while, but it's people in this church, people who said, you know what? I know a good amount about this stuff. I know enough about the Bible that I can teach other people. I know enough about other things in life that I can share that with other people. Stop going to church. Become the church. These people are becoming the church. They're picking this up and saying, like, I'm going to be a part of this. Everybody on this stage today that led us in worship, (laughs) they are not on staff here. Every single person, a volunteer. My buddy Matt's not on staff here. He's from the East Coast. There are people saying, no, no, no. We believe in God. We believe in what God wants to do through the church, that it's bigger than just a set of rules. It's bigger than a religion. It's about our lives being changed. That's what it's about. But religion wants to come in and say that it's about classes. Another thing that happens when religion is used incorrectly is that it creates debates. It creates arguments. Who's ever argued over theology? (laughs) Yeah. Great, right? It's the best. It doesn't make you love God anymore. It definitely does not make you love them anymore. What good does that do? The Pharisees were constantly trying to trick Jesus with theology, with their laws. They, were, they, were, they would constantly, come. well, what do you say about the law then, uh, <laughs> Master? What do you want us to do? And he's like, look, guys, you know the law that you've created and you know the old law, so let's just make it easy. I'm going to summarize it into this little bit here. Love God, love people. Can you do that? No, you can't. You still can't do that? Jeez. (laughs) They missed it. Uh, I think it was two weeks ago, Pastor Larry said, if your your, um, theology gets in the way of your mercy, it's time to change your theology. Oh, that's such a great line. Somebody tweet that out today. Come on. It's not mine. It's just his. Another thing that we see religion can get in the way is that it puts obstacles in the way of those coming to Christ. That is not what we want to be about here. I love that we have no dress code here when you show up. Some of you guys are really pushing that come summertime, but uh, that's okay. You know, tank tops are acceptable to church, I guess. We love it. I think it was Jory McDonald's story like a week or two ago. I don't know if this part made it into the final edit of the video, but she was talking about how when she came for the first time, she saw a guy named Eli Nolan wearing a Warriors jersey. She was like, my husband will belong here. This is a place for him. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Last night, yeah, we won. Um, <laughs> We don't wanna put obstacles in the way of people coming to Christ. The church that I grew up in in the South, uh, you couldn't be on the stage if you didn't have a tie on. And that was for the kids. Mostly like the adults had to wear blazers <laughs> and a tie. But the kids, there are like, yeah, we know you don't have a blazer. You know how awkward that is to invite people to church? Did you remember your tie? No, we'll try next week. Just remember. I think I have an extra one. I've been here before. <laughs> That is so sad and they're great people, they really are. But think about what that does to people when they've been hurt by religion and they're trying to come in this place. We want you to feel at home. Like I said, this is a place you can belong before you believe. The disciples didn't even believe that Jesus was God until after the resurrection. They had their questions, they had their doubts and so do you, so do I. But that's why we're here strengthening each other. Bring your questions, let's ask them together. The biggest way that religion gets used incorrectly is when it becomes the end instead of the means, when it becomes the thing that we stick to more than loving other people. But what's the beauty of religion? There is beauty in this. What do we learn about uh, about religion from this passage? Where is the good stuff in this? You see, religion, when used correctly, was designed to take us deeper in a relationship with God. Religion defined as a system of faith and worship. It's a system. It's the way that we seek out God. It is the means to the end. So what's the beauty of it? It shows us our dependence on God. Jesus was constantly doing these religious systems that we just call religion. He was constantly doing these things. He was constantly praying, fasting, observing the real Sabbath law, not the Sabbath the Pharisees had done. He was constantly retreating into silence and solitude to get alone with God. He was constantly serving other people. I remember when I was in high school, I was in youth group, and uh, I feel like that was the first time that I heard this expression, God doesn't want a religion, he wants a relationship. Have you heard that one? Yeah. That was like the first time I heard it, and I thought, game changer. I love that. Yes. All right. Well, now I'm done with everything in religion because that's not what God wants. But here's the problem. As a high school student who lacks discernment and wants to take the easy way out, you know what that translated to me? I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to pray. Don't put this legalistic stuff on me right now. It's my relationship with God, not yours. That is so bad. That is a good statement. Trust me, there is a lot of truth in it. However, we don't want to throw out religion either. There's great stuff that we can learn from that. These practices that Jesus did. Because here's the thing God shows up in these practices, God shows up in these systems. Not exclusively, but He does. I love hearing testimonies of people who go through Rooted, and it's almost every single person who goes through, there's, it's the same testimony, like, the prayer experience, guys, it was so amazing. You know why it was amazing? Because maybe for the first time in your life, you actually set aside a chunk of time to do something God told us to do to experience a deeper relationship with Him. It was, it was a game changer for me when I went through Rooted for the first time. It's like, why did this work so well? Oh, yeah, God told us to do this. And this is just sad that it's the first time that I'm really doing this. I'm working really hard right now in my own life to to dig some deep roots in a prayer life. Every day I'm trying to start my day off with prayer. I'm not starting like zero to hero. I'm starting small, five minutes here. But that five minutes quickly turned into ten. Quickly turned into, well, now I have to continue this on my commute because I don't want to be late for work quickly turned into in the morning, in the Do you get my point? See, religion's gonna say, hey, check that off the list. Make sure you read your Bible. Make sure you pray. But when religion is used correctly as a system that's gonna take you deeper, it's gonna say, hey, just try this and see what happens. Oh, you wanna do more of it? You wanna do more of it? You wanna keep growing? That's the beauty of religion as a system that takes you deeper. See, just like the law given to Israel was supposed to show the goodness of God to the other nations, religion, when used correctly, should show the goodness and the grace of God to this community greater than we ever could on our own. What would it look like in this community if a group of people set aside time every day to pray? People would be like, what are they doing? They're setting aside every day some time to read a chapter in a really old book. Why? What's the point of that? You're telling me that they're giving their money to a church to help people above and beyond a tithe, not just for the tax write offs? What? That's insane. They're generous? Let's get crazy here. You're telling me that they set aside one day every week just to be with God? That is crazy. But why are they so happy? Why are they, like, why do they have peace? Why do they have joy? What's different here? I want to know who that God is. It's time for us to stop throwing out these systems and labeling them as legalistic. Because that's what happens. We just don't want to do it. My friends, if you're labeling something as legalistic that God has told us to do, it's because you're just not hungry enough for him. That's a really tough truth to swallow. If I was to tell you, you should probably spend more than an hour a week with your spouse just to get to know them, just a suggestion, no one would look at me and say, whoa, 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 that's a lot of rules, a lot of rules. Let me figure this out myself, okay? So why is it when we say you should probably spend more than an hour a week with your father, with your God, with your Savior, that it's like, well, hold on, don't tell me how to do this. Like I have to pray every day? What does that even mean? It's it's just legalistic. No, you just don't want him that bad. And that's been my life too. I'm not here to tell you, change right now. I'm saying, look, religion, when used correctly, it's gonna be like, man, why have I not done this sooner? (laughs) Why have I ignored these practices that God has told me to do, that Jesus himself did? These great things that are designed to point me to him. Why have I not done this? That, my friends, is where religion finds its place. So the place for it, not the end, the means to the end, the way that we seek is designed to take us deeper, these practices that'll show us the more, how we need God more. But my favorite verse on this actually is the verse right before the passage that we read in Mark 3. It's Mark 2, 27. When Jesus says this in reference to the Pharisees accusing his disciples of breaking the law, He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's what we need to hear. Let's substitute that word out. Religion was made for man, not man for religion. When religion starts being what man was made for, that's when we love our theology. That's when we love our rules more than we love our people. And that's not the way God intended it to be. But religion was made for man, for us to use to go deeper, for us to use to be strengthened, to take next steps. So, next steps, we're a church of next steps. What's our next step here today? What can we practically do? If you've been coming to the church, maybe you're asking yourself, man, I wanna know more about God. How do I know more? How do I go deeper? I get asked that question like a couple times a week. What books are you reading? What podcast do you listen to? I wanna do all that. You should, that's great, yeah, read books. Listen to podcasts, listen to sermons. Yes, do that. But also, here's my, here's my next step challenge for us today. Try one of the practices that Jesus did for five days, Monday through Friday, and then come on Good Friday and come tell me about it because I really want to know and I'm going to be here. Maybe try, start small, start small. Maybe try prayer. Pray for five minutes every single day. But like really pray for five minutes. Turn your phone off, point the computer monitor the other way. Don't give yourself the little cop-out where email's going to bump in right there. Oh, God, we were just getting started. My goodness. All right, we'll try again in a few minutes. Really try to pray for five minutes and then come tell me about it after you pray for five minutes every day. Maybe pick one book of the Bible that has five chapters in it. There's some good ones out there. And then read one chapter a day and then come in and tell me what happened. Tell me what you learned. Tell me what God did in your life this week. I'm excited because that's the thing. God shows up in these systems, not exclusively. Do not hear me because religion for me would be to say, you have to read your Bible for God to speak to you. You have to pray for God to do this. No, 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 I'm sitting here saying, God moves in this stuff. Why are we not doing more of it? That's religion in the correct way. Maybe that's your next step. If you're new here, like I said, we want you to belong here. Your next step is to be here. That's it feel loved heal whatever you need to do be here experiencing what god has for you that is your next step to be here and do not let religion used incorrectly do not let it keep you from this place getting you to believe the lies that you're not good enough getting you to believe the lies that you've made too many mistakes that god can't possibly love you that is not what god has for us we have a saying around here that there is nothing so lost it cannot be found There is nothing so broken, it cannot be mended, and there is nothing so dead that it cannot be brought back to life. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ gave his life for us. While, not once you cleaned up your act, not once you became good enough, in the middle of the dirtiness, in the middle of the ugliness. In Ephesians we read that we were dead in our sins, and Christ came for us. That's what we need to know. There's nobody too far gone. And if that's you and you want to take that next step of just learning more and being here, we have a journal we would love to put into your hands. This is a 21-day journal. Go pick one up. It's free. They're out there in the lobby. Go talk to Megan Friedman. She'll hook you up with one of these. This is a great starting point for you. Check this thing out there in the lobby. Will you pray with me? God, you are so good. We are so thankful for your love for us. God, we are so thankful that you gave yourself for us. But God, we are so thankful that you want to be with us and have a relationship with us. So God, let us not let anything stand in the way. And may we be hungry to desire more of you, whatever it takes. That's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.